0: Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts.
1: This devotional address, entitled Dally Up, Finding Our Anchor in Turbulent Times was given on May 5th of 2015 by Casey C. Peterson, then the BYU Associate Dean of Students.
2: I am humbled and thankful to be among so many friends today and see so many of my current and former students. Thank you for this opportunity, President. I grew up on a large cattle ranch, first near Eureka, Nevada, and later in Kenosha, Utah. Days would start very early, catching and saddling my horse in the moonlit and frosty morning hours. As the first rays of sunshine would start coming over the mountains, the cowboys I was working with would scatter out and begin looking for cows and calves from among sagebrush flats and juniper-covered hillsides. The sight was surreal, as I would watch hundreds of cows and calves being herded toward a corral to be branded and vaccinated. As a young boy, I aspired to be able to rope the calves as my part of the branding. Alternative responsibilities entailed wrestling the calves to the ground, oftentimes resulting in me getting kicked or run over. At about the age of seven, after repeated failure tackling the calves, I was finally allowed to try my hand at roping. I remember proudly getting my lasso rope ready and searching out the smallest and slowest looking calf in the herd. I carefully planned my throw and felt the thrill and accomplishment when the loop settled over the calf successfully. Though seemingly small and slow, I felt the tremendous force of the calf start to jerk me off my horse. Despite trying my best to hold on to the calf, I found that my strength was no match for him. Just as I was being violently jerked out of my saddle, I heard a wise cowboy yell across to me, dally up. A dally occurs by taking the rope and making two or three quick wraps around the saddle horn. The saddle becomes an anchor point, which connects to the greater strength of a steady and powerful horse. The dally transformed my situation of having inadequate personal strength to being able to access a greater power that anchored the turbulent polar forces acting upon me. This simple act allowed me to draw strength from something far greater. Instead of being violently jerked from my saddle, I found the relative ease of letting my horse do the pulling, while I had the much more simple and manageable task of holding the dally tight and maintaining the connection to the anchoring force. Many times in my life since, I have felt greater powers than I have been prepared to to withstand. These have seemed to yank me from a place of security and comfort in my life. Each time I have reflected upon opportunities to dally up to a power greater than my own that can serve as an anchor of strength. I would like to share some of the points of my learning of how to dally up in our inevitable circumstances of needing to find our anchor during turbulent times in our lives. First, strength in service. Second, strength in involvement. Third, strength in commitments. The first, strength in service. At the age of four, my father was killed in a farming accident. I remember the confusion, the pain, and the worry for my widowed mother. My father was near completion of his degree from BYU and had returned to the family farm to support his young family. Upon his untimely death, Many faculty members and department representatives reached out to our family to make sure that my father's diploma was received. I remember the small cap and gown that was prepared for me and the nervous excitement of participating in graduation exercises. Here is a picture of those exercises that I first participated in. The personal care, the concern, and the service that they gave to my family became an anchor during our tragedy. Those faculty members and administrators continued that care and concern for years, up through the time that I was able to be a student myself on this campus and receive my own diploma. The fourth theme of a BYU education, lifelong learning and service, has had special significance for me, as I have felt an association between BYU and service on a deeply personal level. My love for BYU, students, faculty, and administrators is because I have been loved by so many in so many ways. My definition of service comes from Alma chapter 17, verse 9. Upon feeling a desire to change and to transition from selfish selfish actions to selfless service, the sons of Mosiah fasted much and prayed much that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his spirit to go with them and abide with them, that they might be an instrument in the hands of God. This campus is filled with many instruments, including scientific, laboratory, research, musical, and others. Instruments provide access to all kinds of power, as opposed to tools which have an inherent power within them based off of mass and force. The power of instruments comes from the skill of a master. A master surgeon or a master musician or a master teacher can do remarkable things while working with instruments. The sons of Mosiah were not seeking language skills, motivational techniques, behavioral understanding, or a psychological analysis of the individuals that they were serving. They were seeking to be instruments in the hands of God, allowing his power to flow through them and be made manifest in the lives of those they served. One of the most humbling emotions that we can experience is feeling God's perfect power and trust working through us achieving far greater results than we otherwise could imagine. Those being served are impacted more deeply, and those serving also are blessed. Power in service is the power of God working through us as instruments. Notice from the following video from our BYU Why Serve students, the anchoring power and aspects of their lives given through service, and especially how being an instrument in God's hands anchors our relationship to Him.
3: I've learned this semester is how capable people are. I've seen how much other people can do just by talking to them and getting to know who they are. I think service is you know getting the job done but it's also making friendships and I think that's something I've learned is how many friendships there are out there to be made.
0: I think I've learned a lot about the principle of unity and just kind of through counsel with the other program directors kind of establishing a plan and just really you know, figuring out what the, what the Lord's hope is for the event.
2: I would say something I learned is just don't think about serving so much, just kind of do it. Like a lot of times you think about the consequences or the implications of stuff and like, oh, they don't need it or I wouldn't help that much, but instead just go do it and don't worry about what the end result is, just,
0: just serve. I
3: think probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned is the power of serving for the right reasons. And serving with Christ-like love. If you wake up with the right attitude, like, ah, oh, yes, I gotta go serve today, it makes the biggest difference and it can enlighten your life and give you new perspectives and greater peace than anything else.
4: Christ ministered to the individual. And for me, that's when why serve is at its pinnacle is when it's just me with one person that I'm serving learning to really love them. Um, And I think service is one of the very few ways that God can open your eyes to love someone as God loves them. What I've realized
3: about Christ's example by being a part of this program is that I'm seeing that even though we work with different kids in different schools, um, you step into them really just loving them without really knowing them.
0: I think I've really come to find out that Christ's ministry was a ministry of service. The Savior was spending so much time working with those who were needy and those who were disabled, and it's been incredible to be be a part of Why Serve because I know that when I'm a part of Why Serve, I'm working with the people that the Savior would be working with if he was here.
3: Through my experience serving, I felt I have gotten to know the Savior better and on a more personal level. When I do serve and in my Project, I feel like I have the opportunity to be like the Savior and do as He did, and I think that's the coolest thing ever. I get to take a minute and really live like the Savior did. The Center has really given me a sense of purpose, really, and I can make a difference. I think that's what I've realized that I wouldn't have if I wasn't involved in YSU.
2: I came to BYU because I wanted experiences like this and instead of going elsewhere for college. And I think it's affected my college experience being able to serve other people and like be around other people so much like who need help. Um, it's gonna, the rest of my life I want to surround myself in an opportunity where I can help people and be of use to, to Heavenly Father and other people. And
0: that has to do with everything with YSERV.
3: Before YSERV I really focused on school. I focused on my schoolwork and my job and how busy I was just doing that, but I didn't really feel like I was really doing anything. I felt a big chunk of my identity kind of missing, and um, I didn't realize that until I started coming in contact with serve.
4: Sometimes we can be artificially concerned for other people, and we should be, but until we actually serve them, that's when God can transform that concern into a real love, where we're so excited when they succeed. And we, we hurt when, when things are hard for them and they have challenges and fears.
0: It's really sweet and tender to think of how much they've blessed me because I've been willing to say, hey, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to learn about it and I'm going to, I'm going to serve these people, and it's, it's been really touching.
3: I love Serve, and it's given me the direction that I needed in my life and it's all thanks to the people that are in YSERV. This instillment of that kind of drive that I have, I'll just be able to carry that on, and so it won't be as hard to incorporate service into my life, because I will have already done it. It just gives an awesome opportunity to be able to set everything aside and to just really focus on others and put my own struggles and challenges aside. God
4: is very aware about His children, and He loves them a lot, and He knows when they're struggling and when they're going through really hard times, and if we're willing to serve and we're willing to put ourselves out there um, to be helping hands, He takes care of His children through us, and He can put us in the exact right situations at the exact right time to, to be the one person that can be helping um, in a really big way, and that was huge for me this last semester as I watched the kid that I mentor uh, really suffer through some things, uh, and learning to love him like God loves him. Well,
1: we're all creating, it's like a symphony, just keep listening, and pretty soon you'll start. To figure out your part Everyone plays a piece And there are melodies And each one of us Oh, it's glorious and as you feel the notes Keep listening, and pretty soon you'll start to figure out your part. Everyone plays a piece, and there are melodies in each one of us. Oh, it's glory.
2: Notice the anchoring power of service in the lives of these these students and the examples of service and the strength that that has brought. My second point is strength and involvement. We are fortunate on this campus to have offices, ecclesiastical groups, and activities that facilitate service opportunities. BYOSA and student leadership, the University Accessibility Center. Multicultural Student Services, International Student Services, Residence Halls, MUSA, First Year Experience, Academic and BYUSA Clubs, Student Alumni, Wards and Stakes, Women's Services and Resources, and previously mentioned YSERV, are some of the organizations that provide opportunities to get involved on campus and in the community. As I work with departments and organizations focused on service, I am amazed at the mutual reciprocity between servers and receivers that allows service to flow between them. I love the parables found in Luke chapter 15 that I believe explain both the purposes and the people intended to get involved. The first parable of Luke 15 is the parable of the lost sheep. My kids and I have a farm near our home in Salem. My kids raise animals to pay for their activities educations, and their missions. We are very familiar with the concept of animals getting out and wandering. The parable of the lost sheep is about leaving the comfort and flock and the fold and looking for something better, probably food. Looking for something better is not a bad thing. Don't we all aspire to finding something better in our lives? In fact, isn't coming to college much like leaving our comfortable flock and fold to venture out to an unfamiliar environment that will improve our situation? Across campus, there are activities, events, involvement, and food that are publicized, encouraging and enticing the lost sheep of campus to find something better. Are we looking for those lost sheep and students and helping them to find their way? President Worthen oftentimes has said, if we look hard enough, those students are easy to see. In one way or another, we are all looking for something better, and it can be challenging to find it without the caring shepherd to assist our efforts. Let us be those shepherds. Service is the connecting conduit that brings lost souls from the periphery into the fold of involvement and acceptance. The second parable of Luke 15 is of the lost coin. This wasn't an issue of monetary devaluation, but it was an issue of priority. The money meant something to the woman, but perhaps not as much as to be high priority of care and concern for her. Other tasks, other items, and perhaps other people caused her to neglect her coin until it became lost. How many people on campus that have infinite worth are neglected as we worry more about our own selfish tasks, our own items, and our own circles of friends? One of my greatest wishes for this campus is that the worth of each student is recognized, and not one is lost in obscurity or a feeling of unimportance and neglect. To accomplish that, we all need to reach out in care, compassion, and conversation to each other. During inevitable times of sadness, loneliness, or inadequacy, thousands of students of programs, clubs, activities, and opportunities await you. And instead of waiting for them to find you, please step up and volunteer to lead those activities. Leaders feel the strongest anchor because they have increased investment and involvement. The worth of of souls we know is great to God. Let us never neglect each person who is a child of him. I'm grateful each day to learn about the stories and the lives of individual students who become involved. They're fascinating what they have overcome, what talents they bring and who they are. Each of us has a story, and each of us has great worth. Taking the time to get to know each other offers us great opportunities to learn charity through our involvement. Elder Marvin J. Ashton defined charity in the following way. He said, real charity is not something you give away. It is something that you acquire and make part of yourself. And when the virtue of charity becomes implanted in your heart, you are never the same again. Perhaps the greatest charity comes when we are kind to each other, when we do not judge or categorize someone else, when we simply give each other the benefit of the doubt or remain silent. Charity is accepting someone else's differences, weaknesses, and shortcomings, having patience with someone who has let us down, or resisting the impulse to become offended when someone does not handle something the way we might have hoped. Charity is refusing to take advantage of another's weaknesses, Weakness and becoming willing to forgive someone who has hurt us. Charity is expecting the best of each other, close quote. Charity for others becomes an anchoring point achieved by knowing the Savior, by seeing, serving, and being involved with others as he does. Service is the laboratory for learning charity. As we come to have charity for others, love God, and serve others, we begin to be stronger in the covenants and commitments that bind us to them, And find their infinite worth. The third parable in Luke 15 is of the prodigal son. This is an instance of selfishness and rebellion. For whatever reason, there are those in our midst in open rebellion or selfish behaviors. Often their actions are detrimental and destructive. Their storminess and turbulence create divisiveness and dissension. But the parable of the prodigal son teaches unconditional love for the individual, even when we don't accept their behaviors. If left unchecked, rebellious actions lead to a loss of the sense of the sacred that Elder D. Todd Christofferson spoke of when he stated, quote, "...the importance of having a sense of the sacred is simply this. If one does not appreciate holy things, he will lose them. Absent a feeling of reverence, he will grow increasingly casual in attitude and lax in conduct." He will drift from the moorings that his covenants with God could provide. His feelings of accountability to God will diminish and then be forgotten. Thereafter, he will care only about his own comfort and satisfying his uncontrolled appetites. Finally, he will come to despise sacred things, even God, and then he will despise himself. On the other hand, with a sense of the sacred, one grows in understanding and truth. The Holy Spirit becomes frequent and then constant companion more and more, he will stand in holy places and be entrusted with holy things. Just the opposite of cynicism and despair, his end is eternal life, close quote. We have the opportunity and responsibility through service and involvement to help those who are willfully rebelling to regain their sense of the sacred. This can be the most difficult service that we give, but it can yield higher rewards throughout eternity. Which brings to my last point, strength and, and commitments. In his inaugural address at BYU just about a year ago today, uh, President Worthen stated the following. In like manner, we must go to the mountains spiritually if we are to obtain an elevated and ethereal education. It is not enough to gain learning by study. We must also live our lives in such a way that we, both students and faculty, are able to receive inspiration directly from God. That requires adherence to both the spirit and letter of the Honor Code, which was designed not just to distinguish us from other universities, but to prepare us for elevated forms of learning. One way that we are a unique and elevated university is through our observance and commitment to the Honor Code that President Worthen spoke of. The Honor Code is a blessing, an anchor given to us at BYU to stabilize our moral, academic, social, and spiritual pursuits. As President Worthen also explained, it is is designed to elevate us in these pursuits. I'm continually saddened by those who continually neglect aspects of the honor code, or worse, try to reduce the rigor of the honor code by changing it. They argue it is outdated and antiquated, yet elevated learning and constancy and commitment are unwavering blessings that are part of our quest for perfection and eternal life, as stated in the mission of BYU. How can we truly expect the anchoring power of the Spirit in our lives if we are lax, lazy, or disparaging in our observance to a commitment that we made to live? Is it elevated learning if we seek the minimum of standards or play the game of not getting caught? A student that I recently met had grown his hair for two years until it reached down his back while still attending classes, church, and activities on campus. He explained that it became a quest for him to see how long he could go without someone telling him to cut his hair. He placed the responsibility for his commitment on others to enforce it. That student has come around, is one of my dear friends now, and is doing fantastically well with Honor Code-compliant haircut in place. Other students rationalize that they don't have a te- if they don't have a test in the testing center, if they don't have an intramural game, or a work requirement the dress and grooming standards don't need to be observed. They begin to focus on enforcement by the institution and not the integrity of the individual. In fact, the first point of the honor code is honesty. I believe that if all students understood and esteemed this point of being honest in their commitments and their covenants, that we wouldn't have to talk about how often to shave, what is modest clothing, what moral boundaries not to cross, academic honesty, curfew times, and even the dreaded man bun. Our vision (laughs) would be lifted from minimally accepted standards, social standards, to what President Worthy called elevated and ethereal education. What distinguishes us from other universities is the individual commitment of each student to uphold their commitment based off of individual integrity. This is summed up in the beautiful poem by Edwin Markham, which states, why build these cities glorious if man unbuilded goes? In vain we build the world unless the builder also grows. I appreciate an institution not just concerned with building facilities, reputations, and research, but based on a foundation of integrity and commitment, individuals will be able to experience elevated learning that helps build testimonies, families, communities, careers, and the church around them. In building, the quality of the materials determine the strength of the product. But with our learning, our character and commitment determine the strength of our product, anchored resolutely to the infinite power of God. In Ether, chapter 12, verse 27, it reads, and if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness, singular term, weakness, I give unto men weakness that they they may be humble. Notice the scripture refers to weakness, singular term. In the presence of God, I imagine I would recognize many areas of improvement that I would need to make. Yet this scripture states in his presence, it is our weakness that we are shown. This weakness, I believe, refers to our relationship with God. If we come to him, we see the infinite and perfect love that he has for us. Yet we also see the weakness in our relationship with him. And the many ways that we are lax and lazy, in the way that we honor him, pray to him, and show our love to him, that is very humbling. But it, re, it goes on to say, if we, but if we are humble and actively come to him that, and, and quote, if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things, notice it switches from singular to plural, from weakness to things, becomes strong unto them. If we strengthen our relationship to the Savior, the many weaknesses that we all have are made strong. It is not merely us who changes. It is the beautiful lesson I learned as a young boy that I could dally up to an anchor point that would allow me access to a far greater power than my own. That exerting my efforts on holding that anchor point strong and tight was manageable to me if my focus was on the connection to the anchor point, not relying on my own inadequate power. I am grateful to work with students who are striving to dally up to the power of service, involvement, and commitments during turbulent times in their lives. I'm grateful for their humility when they have trusted in their own power and found it to be inadequate to withstand temptations in turbulent times. I'm grateful when their humility leads to accountability for their actions and for the masses of students, faculty, administrators, bishops, advisors, honor code counselors, therapists, and family members who collectively recognize the worth of a soul and stand ready to help. And I am most grateful for a loving Savior that allows us to be His fellow servants by being instruments in His hands. When we reflect upon Him as an anchor in our lives, I am grateful for the physical manifestation of the marks of anchors driven through His hands and feet that show the depth of sacrifice and charity from Him that sustains and blesses us today. May we be steadfast and immovable in our relationship with Him through our opportunities to serve and by dallying up to His power through commitments and covenants we make. I testify of these truths and say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information.